0: Welcome to BoardGamers Anonymous, the Animist, podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. Hey, and this is Anthony. And this is episode 280, The Worst Games We Like, by their BGG Rankings. We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. All right, Anthony, we are back here with another great episode of the not so great games that, in fact, we happen to love.
1: Yeah, this is fun because we've so we've recently started going through our collections over on Patreon. This was your idea. I thought it was awesome, so I stole it. Now we're both doing it. And <laughs> if you guys are Patreon backers uh, at the five dollar tier or higher. You get access to these episodes, which we're putting up every week, where we run through every single game in our collection and where we got it and why we bought it and whether we've played it and whether we like it. And if we don't remember it at all, that last one's important for my collection. because There's a bunch of them and (laughs) kind of out of that came the idea of like, there's a bunch of games in here that I still own that aren't very good, but I still kind of like them. So we should discuss those because it's kind of, just interesting like why do i like these games that aren't very good or why do i disagree that they're not very good right so that's that's how we came to today's list right absolutely i I think the the most interesting thing about
0: people's board game collections and if you go to a friend's house and they have their board game collection somewhere accessible you want to see it this is their you know their best and brightest but it's also their dirtiest of laundry so on Patreon, we are going through both of those piles, and it's incredibly embarrassing and somewhat educational. Of you know, hey, so that's why
1: you guys are called Board Gamers Anonymous. That makes yeah. a lot more sense. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like yeah, the Marie Kondo exercise of like, does this bring me joy? What do you guys think? All of my backers, what do you, what do you think about this? Does it bring me joy? You write in and let me know if I sound like I don't have joy. <laughs> And one of my uh,
0: friends recently, board game friends, had mentioned that actually culling his collection actually helps bring down his anxiety because he looks at so many of the games that he has not played or he you know, feels like he should play. And then I look at my collection, and I, it explains a lot of my mental status these days, <laughs> especially with the quarantine. Yeah. There's a lot, of, a lot of a lot of stuff like that. Sure. So, yeah, please check out the Patreon episodes. They cannot be possibly more embarrassing to us and hopefully humorous and engaging and, and again, educational as far as where do we get the games, but also what are our favorites of most favorite games. I have some games that are literally on, under lock and key because they are so precious to me. So, please check out those episodes. And, again, we're always looking forward to getting more of your feedback. So, if there's something in particular you'd like us to cover, That's what we're here for, and that's what the Patreon account is there for. Please you know, check it out, and thank you again for supporting us. We couldn't do this without you. And again, we want to bring new and interesting bonuses out to you. So obviously, we are all, from one level to another, somewhat quarantined in this situation. So we're adding a new Patreon backer uh, benefit, which is we'll play games with you. Now, we've done this going to conventions, but obviously, there are no conventions now. But there is a lot of great online gaming. So Anthony and I have all of the different websites, as you heard from our previous episode, and all of the accesses you could possibly imagine. So if you're at home and you want to get some games to the table, this would be great. Just let us know on Patreon what game you'd like to get to the table. Obviously, you could jump in with our Slack group of other Patreon backers. And we'll get that game to the table with you. All right. So that's everything that's going on with BGA. Let's get on to what's going on with our
1: listeners. Anthony, what's our question of the week? Question of the week this week is a fun one. Uh, Again, going through the collection, it's something that came up separately from this. Is there a game you love but have never won? So a game that you will play over and over again, maybe dozens of times and never come close to winning. So I think we all have that one game. And so I asked everybody where they're at.
0: Yes, it's only one. It's only yeah. one game that I don't I don't win that I like a lot. Yes, just one. Go ahead. Go ahead with your your list of people who have just one. Yes, yes, and one.
1: <laughs> I think a lot of people had more than one. A bunch of people wrote in with like co-op games and Sure, sure. That that's a fair answer for sure. Like there's I've never beaten Ghost Stories for example. I love that game. I have all the stuff for it. I have the original version. I don't even want the new like Last Bastion or whatever it's called. I love Ghost Stories. I've played it like a couple dozen times. I've never actually won legitimately um see i don't think that counts because anybody who's
0: ever done either a school project or a work project with a team of people so
1: eh, someone did something right yeah right it's i mean you're supposed to lose co-ops they're designed for you to lose as a group you know 80 90 percent of the time yeah so i don't know i didn't i don't know if i'm going to count those But I do appreciate everybody writing in with those because I feel your pain. I've been there. There's there's games on my shelf that I can't beat. So some of the other ones people mentioned, uh, a little bit heavier. Tom mentioned Wildcatters and Age of Steam. Loves both games, but doesn't have quite enough plays of either yet and has lost all of them. So I think we all kind of fall in that boat sometimes. Brand new game comes out. You play it a few times and it just doesn't click. Can't beat it, whatever it might be. Pete mentions Mythotopia uh, as a very underrated game that he loves and it's he has a lot of fun with it but of course he has yet to win it against any of the people he's played it with uh it does have a few issues that he mentions which i know have held it back a little bit kind of a lot of these martin wallace games with the same similar system as mythotopia it's like sea of stars i think too has i guess issues sometimes with like the the card balancing chris mentions downforce he's played over a dozen times has never won a race and Games like that, those are the ones that would get under my skin because that's a game where I feel like you could just luck into a win at some point, right? And you just like, you just roll the dice, right? I know there's no dice in that game, but it's the kind of game where you like, you just get the right combination and it just works out for you. And it's just, once you get to like a dozen plays or so, you're like, come on, right? Some other games people mentioned, uh, David mentioned Zaya Legends of a Drift system. And uh, I, I don't, think you should be playing that at all if you can't win i don't know what's the point of that uh it's just a bad <laughs> game it's just a bad game no i'm just kidding i know a lot of people love that i don't but um <laughs> fed mentions tiny towns uh scott mentions welcome to um matthew mentions paladins of the west kingdom david mentions star wars rebellion uh that could be rough because you're only playing one of two sides it gives a 50 50 shot right sure drew mentioned 1846 Michael, friend of the show here in Pittsburgh, he mentioned 18xx in general and Arkwright. And I can attest to that because I, I mm. I've, I've beaten him in both of those <laughs> different times. <So laughs> you're not to blame. Not solely, but partially, yeah. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of heavy stuff on here. And I feel like for me, that's where I would fall is the heavier games that are just engaging and fun. So like for me, it's Anachrony. I love Anachrony. It's probably my favorite mm. worker placement game. And I haven't played it a ton, maybe half a dozen Mm. times, but I've come nowhere close to winning that game. Like I'm always last or second to last. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm not getting, what's not clicking for me in this game, but I still have fun playing it.
0: Yeah, I think there's a couple of games you mentioned that obviously really give you a hard time. Actually, you walk away from it. I guess the longer the game is, it really just kind of hurts a lot more. I guess the game for me that I've always come amazingly close to winning each and every time and just somehow on that last round based upon the market and calculating percentages and things like that is city of the big shoulders i played that a bunch played it with the expansion a bunch and i think each and every time i'm out to a lead i'm doing really well and it comes in that final round where you're trying to like what company should you dissolve and what percentages and somewhere I think I lose it in the math and I don't sell the right number of companies or keep the right number of companies. And then I lose out at the end. And it just bugs the heck out of me. But I do like the game so very much. Yeah, I can
1: see that. I've only played it like two or three times since it first came out. Like I played a little bit when it first came out, like when we reviewed it. But then since then, I've only played a couple times. For me, similar to that, it was Food Chain Magnet for the longest time. I'd played that game a whole bunch. never But the last time we played it, like at the table i did actually win so i can't even say that one anymore like i finally cracked that nut um <laughs> but yeah those big long four or five hour economic games oof, that's rough if you can't win
0: oh sure and then you're calculating percentages and i'm just like it's it's kind of hard to see if you can't visualize it on the table you know if you can visualize it the table you can get a sense of where you won or lost but when it's numbers of calculations and percentages and and stock buys off that's 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 gonna that's gonna bite you a little bit all right so that's what's going on with our listeners if you'd like to join in in the never-ending games that we cannot win but hope to win some point in the future please share with us all of your hosts aspirations and eventual downfalls on all of our social media facebook twitter BoardGamersAnonymous.com, our guild on board game geek especially our slack account on patreon where we share all of these heartbreaking moments that hopefully will turn around at some point we'll actually be able to pull those games off or if you're looking for the best team possible to knock out a co-op again we're available to jump in on your team on patreon so let us know what games you want to play online All right, Anthony, so that's with everything that's going on with our listeners. Let's get on to the games that we want to hit the table. Let's talk about our acquisition
1: disorders. All right. Yeah, so I got a fun one this week that I'm actually really excited about. And there's a good chance that this game will knock off the budget that I would necessarily have spent on Terraforming Mars (laughs) upgrades. (laughs) And it is not even remotely the same game, but I'm still very excited. It is Overlord, a boss monster adventure. Uh Uh-huh. It is so Boss Monster, if you're not familiar with it, is this card game released by Brotherwise Games about seven years ago. It was one of the first games I ever owned, actually. And it was a bunch of little 8-bit cards and you'd lay down cards in a tableau and try to get through these various boss rooms and defeat the boss. Right. It's like an 8-bit adventure type of you know video game thing. Right. Mm -hmm. It was fun. It had a bunch of expansions. It was not the most complicated game in the world, but I always enjoyed playing it. Overlord is a little bit different in that you are the boss monster himself and you are building kind of the world map, right? So you have the, the your own little player board and then all these little tiles that you're gonna use to build a tableau. And then the tableau is gonna score you points based on how everything's laid out. So on your turn, you're gonna be able to take different tiles um, in a draft from the market. And then as well, monsters, these tokens that you place on top of them. So you might have like a little fort and then you have a dragon in the fort. You might have a little cave and then a skeleton in the cave. And each of the tiles is going to score from a different mechanism, like what's next to it, what's around it, you know, basic tile laying stuff. And then the monsters will also score based on some kind of special ability. There are also like ways to move the monsters around on the board you know the overall map so you can kind of manipulate them and put them where they need to be. There's like special powers that you'll have based on the bosses that you are or which mini bosses you put out. It looks like a fairly light game. Uh Boss Monster Developers, um Brotherwise Games, they generally put out light games. They don't put out like big heavy stuff. But the games they put out are highly polished. They tend to be fairly good and sit well with the family. So, I'm actually pretty excited about this because I like the theme I like boss monster i like tile laying and this one looks like a a nice easy win with the family especially with you know the nine-year-old who loves video games so i'm probably gonna back this one and that might put me out of out of range of that terraforming mars kickstarter which just just <laughs> i don't know if we ever talked about it but the price on that is just nauseatingly high mm-hmm. like and i know a lot of you out there are backing it and you know no judgment, of course, but I just I can't justify spending that much for a game I already own. This one, however, it's 40 bucks. It's on Kickstarter for another 10, but 10 days or so. I'm probably going to pick it up.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting that both these games came out at the same time. Obviously, they don't have a lot in common, but they do feel somewhat in the same vein that, you know, you mentioned Boss Monster came out quite some time ago. You and I played it. We backed it. We love the 8-bit, 16-bit, you know, typical dungeon crawl games of our youth. And that nostalgia alone has kind of carried us through the, you know, the problematic points of that game. But nonetheless, thematically, the game is great. But it is a game that is like somewhat fundamentally flawed, but also pretty excellent. And the same thing with Terraforming Mars. It's like somewhat fundamentally flawed, mostly in just what they're trying to correct with the Kickstarter, with the upgraded components and pieces and things like that. Although the artwork is not being upgraded, which is problematic for me but nonetheless you know they're they're trying to add to the game which is great and give you a new version of the game so to speak same thing here with the boss monster one obviously on a lower price level i want to back the terraforming mars like i was super excited like i was like yeah day one woo <laughs> and then i saw it i'm like this looks amazing the the upgraded pieces don't look o- don't look like some knockoff 3d printed kind of stuff And again, since Terraforming Mars has always had like this weird kind of combination of like stock photos and artist renderings of certain things. And it always felt like a Kickstarter game, like it's a good game, but it never felt, you know, finished, like professionally finished. And this professionally finishes it at a level that I don't know if we've seen up to this point. But as you mentioned, it is so expensive, especially with the shipping, because you are shipping a ton of plastic. Not to mention all of the add-ons, which even cost more to ship because of their weight. Uh, yeah, I think I think you know if we're going to add an extra review, we talked about this earlier. I think this was my acquisition disorder a while back. I think I'm probably going to wait until retail and see how reasonable it might be at this point. Even though it means missing out on the Kickstarter promo exclusive kind of thing just because I don't want to pay an extra $50 to ship what I want. Um, as far as the boss monster is concerned, I looked at this too, and I'm just—I was never, never sure about this. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you took a look at this, and it's really intrigued you because Boss Monster was another game I thought I'd get together with the family, and it never really jived too much. So it's good to hear that you feel like the tile lane might actually be a more approachable version of
1: this game. Yeah, I've had a lot of good luck with the kids with tile laying type of games, you know, like Karuba or, you know, like the lighter type of stuff. They really enjoy like just figuring out the pattern. So I think this one's really going to hit the sweet spot. I'm excited to see if that's the case. (laughs) Hopefully it is. But yeah, and like, honestly, I like those kind of games, too. So I'm pretty excited about it.
0: Nice. All right. Well, I want to talk about a Kickstarter that's up. That's also in the same vein, another upgraded version of a game that we both like very much this is role player adventures this is currently on kickstarter and it will wrap up its backing on friday july 17th so you'll still have time to back this or at least take a look at the campaign while it's up this is from our friends at thunderwork games and you know personally i've really enjoyed role player i'm an old time rpg player i don't play rpgs much anymore But I love the idea of the character creation, the idea that you're putting together this unique individual to go on these adventures. Sometimes, in fact, I mean, it's more interesting, more dynamic, more fun to think about the character creation than the actual adventures. I mean, I have and I still collect a lot of RPG books just because I like that idea of all the variety of powers and backgrounds and stories and all the different intricate details that make up a unique character and how radically diverse they can be based upon that particular adventure series and creation book. So when I was playing role player and then it's monster expansion, I know it has another expansion that, that came out, have not played that yet. You always do feel like you want more like, Oh great. I created a character and we scored points and okay. And I won or didn't win. And that's, that's the thing that the game does. But you always had hope that you could take your character and do something with your character so when they announced role player adventures i was really excited because i wanted to do something with my character and here it is allowing me to do something with my character so to speak so role player adventures is actually a cooperative storytelling game so it's no longer the the, the competitive version it's a co-op it's one to four players and it's the same design team behind role player and this kind of opens up the lore it opens up the world and it's it provides stories and backgrounds to the characters in fact the game includes 12 story books so these will be like campaign books that you'll be able to run through and the decisions you make in the adventure does affect you and your party throughout that particular adventure and so on now this campaign has a large number of stretch goals so we'll talk about the price in a minute but typically this is where the campaign really wins or fails based upon people backing it and certain things being unlocked because you know it's a fairly expensive game but going back to the actual gameplay itself you're going to be creating a character which is great and there are 16 pre-generated characters that you can play in the game so if you don't own role player you don't have to right you can just jump into this complete collection and be able to use one of the pre-generated characters Or you can, in fact, import one of your characters over from Roleplayer, which is, again, what I really wanted to do because it was kind of a fun idea to be able to do that. Now, it doesn't, you know, provide a direct one-to-one kind of carryover. You bring your race, you bring your class over, and you're able to bring some of your development of your character over. So. Again, it has to translate. So, this is one of the situations where it bummed me out a little bit. I understand why it couldn't be a direct translation, but it still kind of bums me out a little bit there. So, there are still going to be the cards and the things in the market that are going to manipulate the dice. But in general, the, the, the map system and the skill book that comes along with the actual storybooks, you're taking your character through the story, you're going, adventuring through the maps as things happen, you'll be able to upgrade your skill book and, you know, accomplish a different adventure. So all these adventures, they don't really go into much detail because they don't want to spoil anything, but you will have your individual character to upgrade. You'll have your party journals so that as a team, you'll be able to do great feats and such. And then there's some components that come along with the game too. You're going to have your standard d d figures, a bunch of little cubes, a bunch of tokens. You're going to have the market cards that are very similar to the original base set, but obviously these do something just specifically for this game. The artwork looks pretty great. The graphic design looks nice. They have some really sweet dice in this game too, very colorful, nothing too crazy, but you know, pretty colorful as, as far as the game's concerned. So if you want the base game, it's supposedly 20 bucks off the MSRP. It's $100, which is kind of a lot. And that was one of those things that kind of stopped me in my tracks because this wasn't an add-on situation. And again, it's unfair to think that they could just add on and just like build out a whole games, like, you know, Century Spice Road kind of situation. But this is a complete game for a hundred bucks. At first, it freaked me out, to be honest. And then I was like, well, Gloomhaven. I'm like, ah, yeah, Gloomhaven. Is this Gloomhaven? Is it Gloomhaven, you know, worthy of the price? I don't know. Because again, it goes back to the Kickstarter goals. Right now, it's not there yet for me. Maybe if it gets enough Kickstarter goals, it does hit that. There's also an expansion that you could pick up with the campaign. It's an additional $35. So now you're looking at $135. I can't imagine why you wouldn't pick up the expansion with the base game. I mean, if this seems like something you would enjoy and like to play, it seems like something that would make sense for a long-term campaign. Uh, I'm interested in this. I'm following it throughout the way. It does seem a little generic in some parts, but again, I haven't delved into the story so much as of yet. And I think as the campaign goes, there'll be more information about that. So Roleplayer Adventures, it's currently on Kickstarter and you have until Friday, July 17th to so take a look and see if uh, you want to play something more in depth from the
1: Roleplayer line. Yeah, I really like Roleplayer and I've backed both the Kickstarters for the expansions and I haven't really played the game much in the last year or sure. so. So like when this went up, I was like, oh, that's cool. And then I saw the price and I immediately just was like, nah, I'm out. And it's, I, I think I'm going to go back and take a look closer look at it. But part of it is, like you said, it is kind of a generic world that he built because yeah, it was, you know, he's playing with archetypes and tropes of the genre. So of course it's generic. So then you build a story in that. And I'm like is the story actually compelling? And my immediate impression is that it's not, but I have no reason to believe that's the case. I haven't actually looked at it. I haven't played it, so I don't know. But yeah, another 100 dollar Kickstarter after a like a, a <laughs> spring full of them. I'm like, I don't know, man. I really wish we had convention season this year. This is a game we could probably go and like test out at a con and instead we just yeah. have to kind of watch a video and knock on wood and hope it works out, right? <laughs> so... It's become the standard these days. And we, we
0: talked about this many years ago that it w- would be, we predicted it would be the standard. It's It seems like it's very hard to find a complete game that's less than $100. All right, so those are the games that we want to hit the table. Let's talk about the games that did hit the table on the tablet. And we'll let you know if those games are a buy and you should run out and pick those games up. If those games are awesome and you should sit down and play them or if those games are not so great and they should be dodge, or if those games are completely off the rocker, $100 or not, and you should burn them. All right, Anthony, so what did you play this week?
1: All right, I got my copy of Smartphone Inc. in the mail from Cosmodrome Games and Arcane Wonders. This was the Kickstarter that was up about a year ago, a little more than that, and we played this game way back when. It packs, unplugged, 2018. So... This was and we loved it So like this was one of like three games that we played or that I played at least at that Pax that immediately jumped into my among my all-time favorites and this was like the one you couldn't get. So <laughs> underwater cities came out a couple months later Obsession you could order from the website and they had a Kickstarter recently. this one however, you just there were no copies. It did not exist. There was no way to get this game. So I backed it as soon as it went up, and it finally, finally, finally shipped. It was delayed all spring because of COVID, but finally got my copy. And it's fantastic. It, it like everything I remember about the game is still there. Mechanically speaking, the game is actually fairly simple. It's they call it like an economic simulation, which makes it sound heavier than it probably is, because. The economics in the game while it is an economic simulation you're running a smartphone company and you are trying to gain market share and generate the most money it is among the simpler economic simulations i've played what you're actually doing though is you are choosing actions based on these two little boards that you have that each have little icons on them that correspond to different phases of the game and you will lay one board over the top of the other so that at least one space covers another And whatever spaces are showing, those are the action points you have available for that round. You can upgrade uh, your boards. You start with one upgrade at the beginning, and you'll get additional ones through actions that you take throughout the game that give you new icons or change your icons or however you want to do it. And then you run through this like seven stages of a round. So you'll adjust pricing, which is huge because pricing determines player order. So obviously in an economic game, if you charge less money then you get to go first because people are more interested in your product right you will then be able to like upgrade technologies that give you additional powers in the game but also allow you to sell into markets that maybe you couldn't before and when you have a technology a market wants they will pay whatever your price is so each of these markets has different you know pricing mechanisms in there so some of them might be we will pay as much as five for each unit but they will pay down to whatever it is if you set your price to three they'll pay three but if you set your price to six it's too high they'll only go up to five you can't sell there someone else maybe can you cannot but if they have like let's for example have an icon on there that says 4g or gaming you know abilities and you have that technology then you could set your price all the way up to eight and they will pay that eight which makes it if you play it right and other people aren't in there with that technology, you can make a lot of cash that way. You will be moving around and placing you know, your, your various business units in these different areas. And the game ends up being a bit of a bluffing game because when you place out your tiles and determine what actions you're going to take, you do that behind a screen. So you might look at someone and say, okay, they have these three techs. They could really price high. So I can afford to price a little higher, but maybe not quite as high as them. And then you do that and they come out and they've completely undercut you because they thought it'd be funny. I don't know. <laughs> like It could be a cutthroat game in that way. And maybe they've decided it's worth it for me to make sure you can't sell anything in these regions instead of me selling more, right? And that's the kind of back and forth pull that the game ends up having. It's a relatively quick game. You know, takes an hour, hour and a half. I feel like once you know the game, you could definitely get it in within an hour. And the heaviest amount of time ends up coming in setting out your boards and determining what actions you're going to take the kickstarter came with a handful of expansions so they call it like the status update 1.1 which is a weird expansion name it's up there with the tatua expansion but it adds four different modules in it uh you have a hardcore mode which is like a little bit harder game boards it has a new board that it came with um just for two to three players because it was a little wonky playing with less than five before uh you have CEO miniatures that kind of help determine where you go. They have like these achievement tiles that can go out, um, bunch of extra stuff. The game also comes with a solo module um, called Steve, uh, you know Steve, obviously <laughs> of Apple fame, and it's a little black maple that looks like a silhouette of Steve Jobs, which is pretty cool. And in this one, it's it has a separate board basically, and it's just going to run through this very simple program that it does and kind of block off some of the spaces and generate points in its own way it's a really simple easy to operate ai which i like i don't know how effective it is in like fully simulating an opponent um but you can throw it in with any player count you don't just have to play it solo i've played it solo but you can throw it in with other ones so i like this game a lot playing through it again i, I feel like the modules are going to add a lot because the base game is fairly straightforward it doesn't have a lot of like i feel like the replayability is going to be high but it's not as much depth as you know some other games that have a lot of maybe cards or whatever but yeah it's fantastic it's a buy for me obviously i loved it back then i love it now really happy i picked it up and fortunately arcane wonders partnered with them it's i think it's the new dice tower essentials game for the summer so it will be available for everybody else it's not like oh it's on kickstarter you can't get it anywhere else this stuff is all going to be available so I do recommend checking it out when you get a chance. Hopefully it hits regular markets sooner than later. Uh, But yeah, Smartphone Inc, fantastic, well worth a buy. And uh, yeah, one of my favorite games out of PAX from a couple years ago.
0: Yeah, this is one of my favorite games from PAX, as you mentioned, a couple years ago too. And I was really looking forward to this because, as I mentioned earlier, when you play some economic games, especially on the heavier side... It's hard to keep all those numbers in your head. I mean, for obviously, for some people, they do it fantastic. I mean, obviously, 18XX has a whole, you know, genre based on that. But with smartphone ink, as you mentioned, it seems scarier and more painfully abstract than it really is. And I think that's one of the things that the kind of sparse, beautiful, but sparse design of it might push certain gamers away. But I I honestly welcome people to play it because I know we sat down on it. We had to go through the rule book, which was, you know, a little challenging from time to time. But once we got playing on the game, it was smooth as can be. It was fun and different with that mechanic as far as lining up the tiles to show what you were going to be able to do. And also there are some decisions that you make as far as what you want to be able to do that will also alter your price. Which, again, sometimes is unintentional, but because you want to do one thing, it it kind of changes your price one way or the other. And that's kind of interesting because, yeah, if you're doing something in the market, it might throw off what you're selling the price for, either a good or a bad way. So I like that little bit of variability that comes with the game that is somewhat thematic for, again, what seems to be a very painful, abstract game. But it really does play. It's fun. I don't know. It's just it's just a lot of fun, you know, as far as the game's concerned.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I feel like that could be a problem, too. So like it looks like a big, heavy economic game. Even the board does. It's just a bunch of spaces and a bunch of numbers on there. The game's really not about that. That's the numbers. The money ends up coming in like for jockeying for position and like player order. But at the end of the day, you're just trying to build an efficient engine with your tiles and with the pieces you put out and the technologies you pick up. If you do that well, then you're going to be on top. So, yeah, it, if you like economic games, it's like a lighter version. If you don't like them, you might still like this because it's like it blends that stuff in in a very nice way. Yeah, high recommendation for both of us.
0: All right, well, I want to talk about two light party games I was able to get to family this week. Typically it's hard for me to get my family into gaming so much just because sometimes the rule set seems so overwhelming that it's hard for them to follow. So, I said, you know what, I'm going to take a bullet here. And I mean that just because sometimes you do buy games that you assume the family will like. You get them to the table and they're like, eh, so-so. And you're like, wait a minute, I spent, you know, X number of dollars for this. I was going to put it as part of my collection because you would play it. And here we are. Well, I picked up two of those games. Uh, Thankfully, I picked those two of those games on sale. And I want to let you know if those games are great for the family or a fun night with friends or just kind of a party group kind of situation. So the first one up is One Key. One Key is a straight-up party game. And there really isn't too much to One Key. You're trying to figure out using these clues to solve this visual puzzle. So very similar to Mysterium, where you have these really beautiful and interesting interesting cards now they're not the straight kind of like tarot cards they're actually cut based upon the shape so you have these really interesting shaped cards and on the cards the artwork here is very cartoony very whimsical very very nice artwork love the artwork here and basically one of the clues is selected either personally or you can use the free app that comes along with the game it also has a timer on it you don't really need it but nonetheless Basically, you're going to pick one of these designs, and it's going to be amongst 11 in total. And then what you're going to do as the clue giver is you're going to start off, you're going to pick randomly another card, so to speak. And it's going to have a a lot of different things on the cards. Then you're going to have three keys. There's going to be a green key, a yellow key, and a red key. Green is it has something strongly to do. Yellow somewhat, and red is absolutely not. So you will take that design card. You'll place it on one of the keys. And then the other other part of your co-op team has to pick which pieces of artwork don't go with what the clue you're giving. So as the game goes on, you're going to reduce, reduce, reduce. So there's basically four rounds to the game. And that's the first clue. Every other round that follows afterwards, the person who's giving the clues actually has three clues that they select. They stick in the slots. They're able to pick based on the keys. And then the whole team decides which clues they want to hear from. This is a nice little interesting dynamic. It adds something more to the game. Like, huh, you know, when you play Mysterium, sometimes you just get stuck with the cards and you're just kind of stuck here. At least you have three different designs and the people know what they want information from. So they can make the decision there. Typically it's one clue per round, but there is a special ticket that will let you pick an extra clue the family really enjoyed this it wasn't a blowout kind of situation the game is relatively simple when we finished playing this they're like oh this is nice where's mysterium and i was like oh i was surprised you'd want to play something more involved and heavy but this probably definitely absolutely positively is more for the family scene more for the kids because the artwork is definitely more geared towards them where mysterium is definitely more art Geared toward an adult audience, I liked it. This is going to stay in my collection. I can throw this out without reading the directions. Is it simple as it comes? It's a 1.5 weight on a BGG, and altogether, it's a good game. So I'm going to give it a play. I think this is something that's a good filler for you know party game situation. Like, oh, I have one key. Let's play this. You know, 20 minutes, we're done in and out. Next game up is When I Dream. When I Dream is an interesting game, and what really drew me to When I Dream is its production. So When I Dream is also similar to One Key in that way, and that's why I thought it would work really well. It has that Mysterium-slash-Dixit kind of situation where there's going to be a clue, and the clue, because this is When I Dream You're Sleeping, is these big tarot cards with this interesting artwork. Not as cartoony, not as great as One Key, but nonetheless interesting and engaging it's going to sit in this little plastic white bed and on the clue it has two different clues and then two different clues on the other side you'll put the little bedpost on so only one clue is available one person's a dreamer and then you have this really cool little dream mask that you'll put over your eyes because you're not to see any of the information that's going to be provided for you and then the other characters you're at the table it's a competitive game so to speak is going to give a hidden role. So when they're given this hidden role, it could be the fairy that's trying to help the dreamer identify the dream. It could be the boogeyman who is trying to distract and cheat and lead them away. Or it can be the sandman that's just trying to have things even up. That's basically how they score points throughout the game. So as the game goes on, you got your two minutes. You kind of give out clues based upon the role that you're playing and you score points if you succeed in your role. The Sandman has a little oddity as far as how they score. They want things to be very even. Then the Dreamer has an opportunity to recall their dream. If they recall the clues they got correctly, they get additional points plus the ones that they get correct just on top of which. And that's pretty much the game. As you know, as long as everyone's had a turn as a Dreamer, it's fine. The experience of this game is a little odd. Let me be honest with you because... When you're putting the blindfold on, all you're really hearing is random words from different people. All the solutions are one words and all they can give you is one words. And obviously, if someone's trying to set you off on a different direction and obviously salmon's doing whatever the salmon's doing. So you're trying to identify which player might be good, but you're never getting information back whether or not you got it correct or not. So it's just like random word, random word, random word, random word. Random word. All right, two or three of these random words make sense, but if the Sandman's playing the bad side, then I'm getting two words purposely wrong and one word positive. But again, that's a thing. And then obviously the more players you have, the more words you're given, but based upon the roles, some of these are more positive and more negative. It's a bit of a confusing mess. This is one of the best productions for a party game I've ever seen, but yet the gameplay is lackluster and it's a little... Challenging Again, It's you're, when you're giving clues, you're only giving a one-word clue, so it's not as much fun. When you're getting the clues, you're just like, huh, it's a hodgepodge of random words. So When I Dream receives a dodge for me. I don't recommend this game. Again, the production's top-notch, but I don't think this game's going to stay in my collection at all. Again, maybe if you're playing with kids and you just give the game to the kids because maybe they'll have somewhat fun with the idea of putting a blindfold on, but that's eh that's that's about the size of it
1: Ooh, party games <laughs> i got nothing man i got nothing it's not my wheelhouse at all but now on to our feature review
0: so for our feature review this week we are going deep and we are talking about the worst games on bgg that we like so we're really getting into the games that typically get boos and hisses and people don't want to see those games but They've remained in our collection. They've remained in our heart. They've remained in our game bag. And we still try to get these games to the table every once in a while. All right, Anthony, what do you think about these bad games that we still like?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think like we talk about all the games that are amazing, obviously, and we keep most of the ones that are really good. But there are a handful of games, like I mentioned Boss Monster earlier. That is not a highly ranked game. It's not an amazing game, but I love it. And so I've kept it. Mine's even sleeved, which is insane so i i know right (laughs) so there's a lot of games that kind of fall into that bucket and uh yeah it was kind of fun pulling five of them together that i would recommend to people all right so why don't you start us off with your first pick or let's say your worst pick that you like Uh, worst pick i like is eight epics this is a dice game from seiji kanai and It's funny because when Seiji I released Love Letter, we were like, oh, Seiji I can do no wrong. This guy's amazing. And I'll be honest, (laughs) I haven't really liked most of his other games. (laughs) Like for the most part, they're not very good. And this one's not much better by all accounts. Like it's got a 5.9 on BGG uh, and a fair number of ratings. And it just didn't click for a lot of people. But I really enjoyed it. So this is a dice rolling game. It's a cooperative game you will be rolling different dice and placing them on different cards out there and you're trying to defeat a number of monsters or whatever they might be. Uh, The theme is irrelevant, but it's a quick, easy, accessible dice game. And part of that might be that the best number of players on BG is one. And I've played this solo probably a lot more than I play with other people. It does play one to eight, though. So if you want to play with a big old group of eight, I can imagine that doesn't go well. Uh, But yeah, I I like this one quite a bit.
0: All right, so... I would guess on my side, as far as one of the worst games that are that's rated out there, is Rumble in the House. Now, Rumble in the House is also Cthulhu in the House and also Rumble in the Dungeon. Now, this is a very small box game. It's been reprinted several times, obviously, in different versions. And again, this is a game that I've kept for quite some time. I think I own two of the three versions. I don't think I have the Cthulhu version. As of yet, I'm not looking forward to picking that one up, but I have the other two versions and you can actually mash them together because the game is pretty simple. Basically, you put together the tiles of this dungeon or of this house, and then you are secretly given two tokens that represent two of the characters in that house. And then your job is last character standing. So you can move any character you want throughout the house, whether it's yours or not and you're trying to knock out other players by moving into their spot, you knock them out, and then try to safeguard your characters as long as possible. The longer they stay in the house, the more points you you gain throughout the game. The artwork's cute. It's kind of an interesting, I don't know, like adventure time-esque type of artwork. Not as clean and, and sweet as that, but along those kind of wacky little lines. I've played this a lot of game nights. It's it's a good filler game. A lot of people play it. It takes no time to you know explain. You can just literally set the board and go, you got your two tokens? Yeah, great. This is how you knock out of players. Don't get knocked out. There you go. And you play the game. So currently this game is standing at a 6.1
1: in uh, BGG, but it's much higher for me. All right, next one for me is a Stefan Feld game. That might be among his lowest rated. I'm not sure. I didn't like compare them all, but it's only a 6.2 on BGG and it is called It Happens. So, this one was out of print forever because it's a light game about an anteater going around eating ants. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a weird theme. It doesn't really mesh with his other stuff. It's more of a family game. Um, you can tell it's from early in his career. And they actually had copies of it last year at Gen Con, so I picked up a copy. This is actually one of the games I played when I went to, like, quote-unquote, play with Stefan Feld, and they were just running a bunch of games that he walked around and talked to us at. And it's actually a, quite a bit of fun. You will roll your dice, and you will then place them in different columns on each of these different cards with the ant hills, and you're trying to get majorities in these different spaces that will then score you points, right? But... At the same time, you're also trying to pick up certain tokens that are available in different spaces. So you have to carefully consider where you're going to go. And maybe you want to get these points over here, but you really want that token over there because that's going to add to your set, which is worth more points down the line. But if you do that, then you can't place your die in this other space. that could also be worth more points. Like it's surprisingly deep for such a light game. And I like that about it. Uh, it plays in 20 to 30 minutes. The illustrations are cute and funny. Uh, with Michael Menzel artwork. And it's probably the only Stefan Feld game I can reasonably play with my children. So uh, I've definitely kept this one around, and I like it quite a bit, despite its lower ranking.
0: Well, a game for me is a game that typically even I don't usually pick up because I'm not a big pirate fan. I know pirate games are huge out there. And this is one of the pirate games I love, so much so that I originally got a copy of the game, gave it for a charity auction, and then missed the game so much that I bought a new copy, which I still own to this day. And that is Dreadcurse from Smirk and Dagger Games. I remember playing this and going, oh man, playing a pirate game. Oh, it's got so much social deduction in it. Oh, I am not liking this at all. But actually, in fact, the social deduction in this is not really social deduction as much as it is in like Citadel's where the character roles have a special ability that plays out and attacks the other character roles and, and attacks the gold. So it's not one of those things like werewolf where you're knocking each other characters out. This one allows you to pick different roles throughout the game that's going to give you special abilities. And there's bluffing to the game. And it's it, it really kind of adds a lot more of that press your luck kind of mechanics and the variable player powers and take that And again, it stays away from being just a, you know, a typical kind of party game. And it adds enough solid board game mechanics
1: that despite it being a 6.4,
0: it really deserves higher.
1: All right, next one on my list is also a 6.4, and that's Karuba the Card Game. Uh, Karuba by Rüdiger Dorn is one of my favorite family games. It's a very simple tiling game, has immense replayability, a bunch of little expansions, the kids love it. The card game takes that mechanic and mixes it up a little bit. You're going to have these cards in your hand. You're going to try to outwit the other players by playing um, the right numbers. And ideally, what you end up doing is you make other people discard more cards than you so that you can play down more into your own tableau. And you're trying to create paths and connect your adventurer to different the temples where you're going to score points. So it's all about being the most efficient and effective in closing your route as you lay these cards out and it's a little less, you don't have like the perfect information that you might have in a Karuba where, you know, all the tiles that are coming because the cards are in a deck and you're pulling them out one by one, but the game takes 10 to 15 minutes. You can play it all very quickly. Back to back Uh, plays just as well as the regular game uh, with younger children takes up a little bit less space on the table. And I don't think it's quite as good as Karuba, but I've actually played it more than Karuba. So Despite the fact it's not ranked as highly here, I think it's nearly as good of a game and one that I get to the table more often. So definitely one that I've kept around and really appreciate despite the uh, lower appreciation by the community.
0: The next game I want to talk about is a game that's been out of print for quite some time. So I don't think the game has received the love that it deserves. This was a Z-Man game and it's called Magical Athlete. Now, Magical Athlete was a fun game I played way back when, back in our myriad days, And it was about the idea that you had this special character that had, of course, special abilities. And basically, it's a roll and move game, but based upon your character, and there's a large number of characters in the game, your characters had special abilities that would react pretty much almost to every roll and every movement throughout the game. So as the game went on, it wasn't just roll and move your symbol character, but it was also that you know, you were able to overtake a character and kick them back one space. Or if you were, you can actually reduce or add to someone else's role. Or if someone uses their special ability, you'll get to use your special ability to move one up. Or you could switch places with another character. And again, the artwork was kind of fun and has this kind of cartoony anime version to it. I'm really excited that, that at some point, someday, this game will get a reprint because... Again, it's a fast, quick game. You really do like the artwork and the characters. And you could have obviously, based upon how you're playing the game, you could play multiple characters throughout the game. And it's just one of those games where you sit back and you enjoy the fun of these characters jumping over each other, messing each other up, tripping each other along the way. Really, really fun game. Uh, Deserves to be a lot higher than it is currently on the list. And if you ever get a chance to see it or get to the game table, I think you'll enjoy it. That's Magical Athlete.
1: All right, awesome. Uh, for me, the next one up is an Elbenviard game, Card City XL. It's sitting at a six point four on um, Board Game Geek, and this is very similar to a lot of his other city-based games in terms of like the general formula. You're laying things out; they need to be in a certain combination uh, based on whether it's like a leisure, an industry, residential, or commercial building, right? And the original Card City was like essentially just a deck of cards it was a very small box it didn't have a lot in it but the excel version has 188 different cards seven different colors and he claims 240 different combinations to play i think it's based on complexity levels victory conditions and then like the different variants you can throw in but there's a lot of different ways to play this game now with the excel version and again like similar to eight epics this one plays best with one i've played this one a lot solo but i've also played it a lot with other gamers and i've had a lot of fun uh it's not my go-to Alvin yard game um I, i almost put tramways on this list but it's ranked too highly to be on here it's not it's not quite a low ranked game but this is probably his worst ranked game and i think the one everybody overlooks the most and i feel like it deserves more attention because it is quick it takes like 30 minutes it's accessible it's relatively light compared to the other ones uh, and it, yeah, I think it's really solid. So I wish it was a uh, higher ranked and more people had a chance to play it. That's Card City XL.
0: Another game from Smirk and Dagger that I really enjoy that, again, hasn't gotten the love that it absolutely deserves is Nevermore. This is a game back in 2015. It's currently sitting at just about a 6.7 on BGG. And what I liked about this game when I initially played it was when you play a lot of these card drafting, trick taking kind of games you're like oh i've kind of seen this before i know how this is going to play out but the hand management in this game and the take that elements you don't find in your typical kind of trick-taking game and obviously the artistic elements that go along with this game and how tense the game can be as far as when you're pulling together a set whether you're going for ravens which will be negative points but if you can pull it off and like shoot the moon so to speak Then you're getting a lot of bonuses. You have health in this game, so you're actually taking hits. And one of the really great things about this, even though it's a take that kind of game, if you get knocked out, you turn to the Raven, and then you can still play in the game, and your job is not just to knock other players out, but if you transform back, if you come back to life, you can actually win the game. This has really great components to it. It's got these really nice uh, chits to it. The um, As I mentioned, the artwork, while still abstract, is a lot of fun. And the expansion is not to be missed. If you do like this game, I highly recommend the expansion. It adds all the Edgar Allan Poe stories as special, unique, asymmetrical powers that you get to play within the game. Not radically asymmetrical, but they do all have special powers. So it's currently sitting at
1: 6.7, but if you see Nevermore, I definitely recommend a play. All right, last one on my list is my annual reminder to people that First Martians Adventures on the Red Planet from Portal Games is actually a good game. So, <laughs> Well, someone's got to do it. Someone's got to do it. That's what I'm saying. This one came out three <laughs> years ago, and the hype was huge. Right? It's the sequel to Robinson Crusoe. It was Ignacy Trevichek's next big game. They printed a ton of them, and the reception was not good. And I I was part of that too at the time. I was like, this game has a lot of issues. The rule book was horrendous. Just one of the worst rule books I've ever read. Um, Combined with the app, which had a few bugs in it and wasn't always fully forthcoming with the information you needed to play the game. It was difficult to get into. The game itself is incredibly good. I, I absolutely loved it. I think I still gave it a play. I couldn't quite recommend a buy at the time because of all the issues in learning it, but... Over the years, we have player aids, we have better rule books, we have watch it played. Like it's easy to get into this game now, and you can find copies for like fifteen bucks because it, because it bombed so hard. But at the end of the day, you have essentially Robinson Crusoe in space. And while it does have the one thing that I feel like a lot of people have issues with, in that Robinson Crusoe is about building things and trying to achieve something while also staving off you know disaster this game is almost purely about staving off disaster. Everything's always falling apart and you have to build it back up to keep yourself where you want to be. So just the innate stress of that, uh, because it probably more closely mirrors real life. Uh, I don't know that that sits quite as well as like the adventure theming of Robinson Crusoe. But for me, I almost like this one more. And then the actual campaign that comes with this is among the best of between this and Robinson Crusoe and all the other games in kind of this genre, I feel it's one of the best experiences. If nothing else, if you can get this copy for less than 20 bucks or something, just go through that and you're good. And it's totally worth it. So First Martians Adventures on the Red Planet, it's only got a 6.6 on BGG. I think it's much, much better than that and just got a really bad rap because of a pretty poor rollout and book at the time.
0: And finally, for me, a game that's sitting at a 6.8. And I have to give a super big shout out to one of my favorite gamers out there, Vern, who brings this game constantly and gets it to the table because honestly, I would never get it to the table. And it's called Cubist. Cubist is a dice game, and you'll be rolling dice. There's also hand management, but particularly, the dice are used in order to build different patterns because. You're using the dice, again, smartly here, as art to create this larger piece of cubist work. So you roll your dice, and then you look at the design that you're trying to create, and based upon the rules and the patterns where a die has to be higher or lower in that design to be able to be placed, you're trying to design these different structures, so to speak. So they're worth different points and you're trying to obviously go for the best, but sometimes other people are trying to go for them too. So as you're building up your own design, people are trying to get to that one first. So it's kind of a really interesting race as far as as you're rolling the dice. Should you go for something simple, but everyone seems to go for that. Going for something large, it's a little more challenging. And there's also these super big cubist designs that everyone's adding to throughout the game. So as you try to rock it, and get the small designs done, it'll give you an opportunity to place one or two dice up to the larger design, which is gonna score you additional victory points. What really sets this game apart is there are special ability cards and actually famous works of cubist artwork that you'll be able to collect throughout the game that's going to manipulate your dice throughout. It's an odd, interesting game, and it's actually pretty fun to get to the table There are not many games like this where you're able to build up a structure based upon your dice. It's a lot of fun. It's Cubist. deserves a lot better than where it is. All right, everyone, that is our list of the games that are currently out there that BGG's ranking says are the worst, but we like them just fine. So definitely check out those games. All right, so that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at the table.